Did, uh, did they pick that video for me? Is that what they did? <laughs> or was it for you? Happy Thanksgiving, guys. How are we doing today? Hopefully this week you're going to relax a little bit. Yeah, maybe spend some time with extended family. Probably eat too much. Can we just go ahead and have a corporate uh, prayer of repentance now in advance of the sin that we're about to commit this week? <laughs> Thanksgiving is one of those weeks, I mean, isn't it? It's one of those... Uh, maybe the most joyous time of the year, and yet in some ways some of the most stressful time of the year. Uh, anybody agree with me that the highest highs in life and, and, and the lowest lows in life are often directly related to family relationships? Is, is that true? Yeah, and so Thanksgiving comes, that focus is you don't have gift giving and we don't have Christmas parties and we don't have all the other stuff that so many of the other holidays have. This is just about family. It's about gratitude. Uh, but the, the reality is we live in a culture where the most popular Thanksgiving movies are not about happy, fulfilling, functional families. That's considered passe these days, right? And so most of them are about some level of dysfunction. And eventually, uh, the culture has come to the place where, where some people are saying it's time to redefine what family is, and others are saying that the concept of family is outdated. We ought to just forget about it. Here's what I want you to know, okay? If you tune me out and go ahead and start cooking your turkey in your mind before I finish the message this morning, here's what I want you to know. Family was God's idea. And he intended that the family have huge value in our lives. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about how to practically make our families a place that we're thankful for, quite frankly, whether you can say up to this point it's been true or not, as we look forward, we're going to see the roles, make the commitments, and see if we can get a handle on how we can make our families the place that God intended them to be. If you want to follow along today with today's scripture as an outline, then you go to the new and improved brand new bridge app. This is really exciting. Uh, if you haven't got the app yet, there's an app squad out in the lobby after the service that can help you with it. But now, you don't have to go to Bible app and events and all that stuff. Just go to the new Bible app, click on notes, and all of the notes for today's sermon uh, will be there for you. In fact, it'll be there before Sunday. If you want to download them on Saturday and, and, uh, and print them out so you can have them in paper, you're welcome to do that. And then you can save them to a journal and you can take your own notes. That's all in the new app. And, uh, and again, I'm excited about that because I really want you to follow along with me. As I, as I told somebody, I'm a teacher preacher, and so I want to teach you something. I want to share with you. I want to inspire you. But at the end of the day, I want you to be able to capture that because we remember about 10% of what we hear. We, present, represent, uh, we remember 90% of what we write down and read ourselves. And so make sure that you capture those notes. Go to the New Bible app and do that. Let's get into it. Here's what the Bible says about family. Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 18, from the very beginning, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable, a helper suitable for him. Now picture it, Adam has been created, all the animals and the flowers and the trees, this idyllic setting, this beautiful garden has been created, and no matter how magnificent it was, God's response was still what? It is not good. And why wasn't it good? Because he never intended that man be alone. And so verse 21 and 2, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. 
Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. I try to imagine what that conversation might have been like between God and Adam, because they kind of walked together in intimacy. And maybe it went something like this. God said, you know, uh, how would you like to have someone uh, to cook and clean and wash your clothes and meet every need? And Adam says, sure, wow, yeah, yeah, uh, but what would that cost me? God said, well, it cost you an arm and a leg. <laughs> so Adam said, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> I don't know, is that? I got as many boos as I did claps on that one. Couldn't tell the gender of the boos, but I can guess. <laughs> Good morning, guys. Just want to see if you're awake. Verse 24, that is why, what's he talking about? The fact that it's not good to be alone, so I'll give you a companion. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. In that simple statement, God established the family as the building block of society. Whether you're married or single, here's the truth. We need people. God never intended us for, to do life alone and isolated, and he, he designed the concept of family to meet that need. Now, again, I realize for some of you, that's, that's not how you see family. For some of you, family is, uh, is a bed and breakfast. You know, it's, it's that, that economic necessity. It's a place where you go and you eat and you wash and you sleep and you get up and go again. And that's just kind of the cycle of what family is for others of you. Uh, the, even the concept of family, talking about family, just kind of hooks into painful memories. But hear me, guys, whatever family means to you right now, I believe God intended the family to have immense value in our lives. And so I want to take just a few minutes before I send you out into your Thanksgiving week to remind you or to teach you uh, what I consider to be the four primary roles of the family as designed by God. And I'm going to ask you to join me in the commitment to make these roles a reality in our families. And let me say quickly... Uh, those of you that know me know what I'm about to say. I'm talking about your biological family. I'm talking about your adoptive family. I'm talking about your spiritual family. Family is about connection on a deep and intimate kind of level. I believe there are four roles for the family which require four commitments from us. So let's just get into it, okay? Role number one or commitment number one, depending on how you want to look at it, <laughs> is we are called to make your home, a shelter from the storms. Let's personalize it, make it my, and say it together. I will make my home a shelter from the storms. Say it with me again. I will make my home a shelter from the storms. Anybody agree with me that life doesn't always go as planned? <clears throat> God bless that hand. I see that hand. God bless that hand. Truth is that it that it rains on the just and the unjust, Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. That's a reality of life. And we need an umbrella to protect us during those storms. We need a shelter. The Bible says, actually, that there are four authorities that are established in society, all of whom have specific roles. There's government, there's employers, there's church, and there's family but he intended that family be the one that is the stable covering that's always there, the one you can depend on, what the Bible calls a place of refuge. Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 from the New King James. <clears throat> In the fear of the Lord there is, what is it? Strong confidence. And his children 
will have a place of refuge that says to me that if you do family God's way, then the children of that family, again, biological, adoptive, and spiritual, the children of that family will have this confidence that they have a place of refuge. Is that important? There's so many storms, guys, that we have to deal with in life. Let me just mention two or three and see if you relate to these. <clears throat> Can change be a storm that we have to weather? Is change hard? Do you hear like this? Change is hard. Look at somebody saying change is hard. He nailed it on that one. Change is hard. It can be stressful in all of our lives. Frankly, whether we're just talking about stages of life or <clears throat> we're talking about transitions like graduations or, or we're talking about layoffs and job change, we're talking about relocation <clears throat> for our military families, the stresses of knowing you've got a new duty station again and you're going to be relocated again just about the time you started making friends and, and spiritual family connections in this place, it's time to move again. Divorce is a change that creates huge storms in our life. Death in a family, change is hard. Can I get a witness? Change is hard. So in the midst of all of that, we need a place that no matter where the house is, we know there's shelter, a family that I can depend on no matter what comes my way. I've said so many times over the last month, I cannot imagine, I can't fathom how I would have gone through, how Kim and I would have gone through the loss that we've endured in our family without family. I don't know what we do. My brother and sister and, and sister-in-law are going to be here this morning in the 11 o'clock service, and the, and the only reason they're driving in from out just to be here is just to say, Jim, we're, we got your back, man. We're with you. We support you. I don't know what I would do without it. I've seen so many couples when the death of a child tears the couple apart, and i got to tell you, I couldn't have done this without Kim and, and us together working together. That's what family's for. That's what family's intended to be. How about failure? Is failure a reality? Anybody, anybody know anybody in your family that's had a failure? Don't look at them, but I mean, you know. <laughs> anybody that you've had a failure in your life? I got one yes, but of 500 people. <laughs> yeah. Ronald Reagan said, never hire somebody that hasn't had a failure. Because it's how you fail that often determines or reveals the character of the person. Failure is a reality of our lives. But even though it's common, it still hurts. Can I get an amen? It's hard to process through what life will be like on the other side of the failure. The good news is we can handle a whole lot of failure if we know that we know that we're going home to hugs. Come on. That's why Solomon wrote... In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. That's what family's for. Family members are supposed to be fans. Even when you're having a losing season. I've been a Redskins fan for 40 years. What did that tell you about me? Family's walking in when everybody else is walking out. That's what family's for. How about rejection? Does rejection hurt? Is that a tough storm to have to weather? 
And if you have to weather it alone, I mean, it's tough. We've all experienced rejection before, put-downs, ridicules, criticism. And we can always uh, remember embarrassing situations that we had to go through as, as kids. Guys, if you don't have someplace like home to go to, to run to, uh, those experiences can have huge long-term effects on, on your lives. We all know growing up that that game, hide-and-seek or tag, those things always had one element to the game, and that was if you can get home, you're safe. If you can get back to home base. When our boys were growing up, there were so many times that they would be out playing. Kids used to do that in those days. They actually played outside, right? One of my boys said to me one time, I'm bored. I said, you see that tree? Go play with it. I'm just... But they'd be outside playing, and suddenly they'd come running into the house, and they're crying, and they'd run right past me and go to the room and slam the door. And I'd go, okay, I, being the deeply spiritual wise one, knew something was up. <laughs> so I would finally go to the room and get them to calm down a little bit, and we'd talk. And after a while, I'd find out somebody said something that was hurtful to them. Anybody agree that people can be cruel? From the playground to the boardroom, rejection hurts. Just not being picked for the team can be incredibly painful for a lifetime. Anybody remember the painful, uh, the pain of, of teenage breakups? I still remember my first one. Peggy Wagner was my first love. She was an older woman. But I, you know, dream big, always have. I was in first grade. She was in second. <laughs> and she broke my heart by moving away. I mean, it's just hard sometimes, you know, when, when, you, when you're rejected. I mean, I came out of that kind of jaded. I mean, I kind of developed this dating attitude to just love them and flush them. I mean, you're just going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> We've said many times, Kim and I, that if we had met in high school, there's no way we'd ever gotten together because she was a goody two-shoes and I was a filthy beast. I mean, it's just the way, that's the way it was. But whatever your reaction to, the, to whatever rejection you've had in your life, the truth is it hurts and God created a place that we could go to when that kind of storm rages in our lives. That's what family is for. What I'm saying to you on this Thanksgiving Sunday is don't wait for a major crisis to demonstrate love, to give away hugs, or, or to listen, or to help, or find a way to communicate. This is a safe place for you to process through change, even when you're acting out. This is a safe place to overcome failure and get back on your feet. This is a safe place to heal from rejection. That's what family is for. So our commitment is first and foremost, I will make my home a shelter from the storm. Say it with me one more time. I will make my home a shelter from the storms. The second role that God intended for the family is I will make my home a learning center for life. 
I will make my home a learning center for life. God intended that the family be the primary place where learning takes place. Now, don't misunderstand me. Uh, Most all of us send our kids to school. Even homeschoolers do co-ops where they help each other out. Uh, You know, we, we thank God for teachers. Can we thank God for the teachers that are here? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And yes, we send our kids to church, and we hope they learn things about Jesus and about the Bible, and, and that's a role too. And can we thank God for all of the Bridge Kids volunteers and staff in this place? What an amazing group of people they are. Hundreds and hundreds of kids that come through this church every weekend, many of them desperate for, for belief that God is there. Many of them don't go back to homes that, uh, that are reinforcing this kind of stuff, but we're making a commitment that our home is going to be a launching pad. Here's what I need you to hear. No matter how great your teachers are and no, how, no matter how amazing the, the Bridge Kids Ministries are, God's holding you responsible for your children's education. You are primarily responsible for that education. Now, we'll partner with you. I think we got the parent queue. I don't know if you've done the, the, the parent app. That's an app that tells you what your kids were learning in Bridge Kids. It gives you uh, uh, opportunities to, to do devotions with them, activities that you can do. We'll partner with you. We'll help you with that journey. But at the end of the day, we are the ones responsible, parents. Home is the place where we learn the basics of life. Most of us learn to walk at home. We learn to talk at home. We learn to take a bath at home. I mean, all of life's basic skills were designed to be learned at home. Here's how Solomon put it, uh, Psalm 144, verse 12. May your sons flourish in their youth like well-nurtured plants. May our daughters be like graceful pillars carved to beautify the palace. And obviously that's ancient kind of poetry and language, but his point is that strength of character and beauty, both internal and external, are intended to be developed in the family. That's where those things are intended to be formed, and it's our job to make sure that we do that. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to the church at Ephesus and to us, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, do what? Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, that's that's a real challenge, isn't it? Don't exasperate them, but train them. I mean, there's an art to that. There's a science to that. But one of the things that parents have to learn is that in the journey of helping their children to learn what they need to learn, that there are stages in the parenting process. Stage number one is what I call the control stage or the parent control stage. And during that stage, those early stages, you've got a lot of control. In fact, you're managing almost everything in their lives. You're monitoring everything. In the early years, if you go to cross a road, they don't hold your hand you hold their hand, right? Because you want, you want control. You're going to keep them safe. That's your job to make sure that you have parental control over their lives. Eventually, they move into the season where you want them to begin to develop some self-control. So you start to give them a little more freedom, let them stretch just a little bit to try their wings, not too much, They usually want more freedom than they're ready for, and it's our job as parents to make sure that we're not giving them too much too soon. Hello? I remember one of my boys saying to me when he was, I guess, 14, 15, he said to me he wanted to go to a party, and I said, no. And I said, I know where it is, and I know some of the folks that are there, and and so, no, you you can't go. And, And he said, you just don't trust me. You ever heard that one? Yeah. 
I said, well, actually, I trust you as much as any 14-year-old I know. I just don't trust you to be ready to make the choices you're going to be forced to make if you go to that event. So no, you're not going. There are other times when I gave them wings to fly. You see, you see that kind of that journey, well, I'm, I don't want to be hard on my kids. I want to be their best friend. I'm sorry. Friends will come and go. Mama and daddy are the only ones you got. One of our boys went through the season where he was trying to wrest control from us, and he was struggling with that thing, and, and, and he said, you just don't love me anymore. And Kim just said, well, I, yeah, in fact, I do. And that's what I'm doing right now is I'm showing you how much I love you. Ultimately, you want to get them to God's control. You want to get them to that place where they recognize his authority in their lives and they tap into his power through the, his plan for their lives. And, and the better you do the parental control to self-control to God's control process, training them in those things without exasperating them by holding on too soon or by letting go too quickly. I've had kids say to me as a pastor, you know what, I really don't think my parents care anything about me. They let me do anything I want to do. So that journey of holding on the right amount, letting go the right amount so that ultimately they will understand that God will give them freedom of choice, but there are consequences to their choices helping them. That's the parenting process, guys, as hard as that is. We'll unpack that more next spring when we go into a whole series on family and the pressures that families are under. But for now, understand, God gave parents the responsibility and the privilege of showing children what God's authority looks like. He even gave that uh, responsibility and privilege to Mary and Joseph for his own son. I mean, we don't know a great deal about what happened between age 12 and 30. We just know that he grew up in his father's house. He grew up with his parents training him. And here's what we do know, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, and Jesus grew Read it with me, one, two, three, go, in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You see the highlighted portions? You see four particular areas? You were taking notes, I want you to circle those four words. The word wisdom relates to intellectual growth, beliefs, and values. The word stature has to do with physical growth, health. The word favor with God has to do with spiritual growth. And favor with man has to do with social growth, relational growth. And so as you think about making the home a learning center for life, you're looking at all four of those areas. And you're helping your children to grow in all four of those, intellectual, physical, spiritual, and social. That's the goal for every family. But here's what I need you to hear me say, and I'll move on. Whether you accept the challenge of that or not, the reality is your kids are learning those four things at home, good or bad. Regardless of what values you are modeling for them, they are learning those things at home. Health, exercise, eating right, the way you model that at home has huge impact on their lives for the rest of their lives. Boy, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. Your beliefs about God, 
whether you're active in church or not, in their forming years, whether you're reading the Bible and praying as a family in their forming years, has a huge impact on their own beliefs about God as they get older. How we relate to the people in our lives has huge impact on the way they relate to people as they get older in life. Understand what I'm saying? We're teaching those values even when we don't realize we're teaching those values. So we have to be aware of those things because quite often we grew up in environments that don't teach biblical value, that don't teach godly value, that don't teach healthy values, and we have to relearn them when we get older. Can you do that? Sure you can. Is it hard? Sure it is. Well, I don't know. You, I, I just can't relearn this stuff. You, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you ain't a dog. You're a child of God, <laughs> and you can learn, and you can change. Can I get an amen in the house? In fact, you ain't learned nothing, changed nothing the last year or so. I invite you to the altar after the service this morning to repent. Every one of us need to be learning and growing and changing constantly. My point is simply that we are in a relay race of values and we're passing the baton to the next generation even when we're not paying attention to the baton pass. My prayer is, Lord, let it be said of the Bridge families what the prophet Isaiah said in 3819, Lord, each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. Lord, let wisdom and strength and relationship with God and healthy relationship with people pass on from my generation to the next in our family smoothly from one to the next. Well, Pastor, I, you know, it sounds like I need a master's degree in early childhood development to do all that. No, 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 you, you, you don't have to know, you don't have to get it right. You don't have to understand all the skills associated with it. Deuteronomy 6 tells us how to do it. Real simple. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's simple, right? It would be if we sat together at meals anymore. It would be if we sat on the porch anymore. It would be if we did those things anymore, but that's not how family functions these days. Can I get an amen? amen. So what do you do? Well, first of all, you've got to monitor the television shows that they watch because that's influencing their lives. I read some stats just the other day. The average American child watches 1,000 hours of television a year. Do the math. That means by age 18, they have amassed 18,000 hours of television viewing. By age 65, they will have amassed nine and a half years of television viewing. By contrast, if you drag those kids to church every Sunday and either group or Wednesday night service every Wednesday by age 65, they will have amassed four months of training. Nine and a half years, four months. How important is monitoring what they watch? And we're not even talking about what they watch 
online YouTube videos that they'll spend the day watching little snippets of here and there that are filled with values, good and bad. So we have to watch those things. The books, the magazines that they read, the places that we let them go, we have to monitor those things because we aren't spending as much time as perhaps Deuteronomy 6 says we should, and it can be a challenge to fit that time in. So we got to be careful. we got to be aware because while we don't do all that sitting and walking and lying together like they used to, the task is still the same. The task hasn't changed. It's our jobs as parents to make sure that our homes are a learning center for life. So I, I got to move on, but parents I got, and grandparents alike, you gotta, I got to ask you, I mean, what values are you teaching your children and grandchildren? Uh, both intentionally and unintentionally, what are you teaching? What are you teaching them about money? What, what are you teaching them about sex? What are you teaching them about character? What are you teaching them about honesty? What are you teaching them about hard work, about the importance of family itself? What are the values that I want them to leave home with, having seen them lived out before them while they were at home? What heritage do I want for our family name as they move forward? Understand, in providing a home that is a shelter from the storms and a learning center for life, I'm teaching values that will help them throughout the rest of their lives. Ready for number three? Role number three for the family, commitment number three for the family is I will make my home a place to play. I will make my home a place to play. Say it with me. I will make my home a place to, to play. This one was our son Andrew's favorite. <coughs> His wife Emily was a commander in the Navy, and she'd go out to sea. She'd come home, and, and the first thing she'd do when she'd come home after a deployment is she'd say, we need to get this house in order. And Andrew would say, look, you've been gone a long time. We'll get the house in order eventually. Just come on, let's play a board game. Come on, let's sit down, sit with the kids and talk. Let's just catch up. Why? Because he understood that, that yes, family is a learning center for life, and yes, it's a shelter from the storms, but at the end of the day, it's also a place to play. It ought to have a format for fun. Is that okay? That's why one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Ecclesiastes 9, 9, where Solomon said, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Guys, if you don't do anything else I said this morning, get that one right. It'll take you a long way to building the kind of home that you want. Solomon's, of course, the one that also said, Proverbs 5.18, be happy with the wife you married when you were young, assuming you're still married to that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how Solomon remembered after the first 300 wives or so which one he was married to, young and old. But anyway, you get the point. Here's, here's the problem, okay? An awful lot of Christian homes, are, they're getting the learning center for life thing down. But they miss this one completely. And so if you're not careful, family becomes a boot camp and parents become drill sergeants. Uh, and then they wonder when the kids grow up why they don't want to come home to visit. You've heard the, the old saying, the family that prays together stays together. Do you believe that? I do, but I also believe the family that plays together stays together. You've got to create an environment that they want to come home to. And that's a critical part of family as well. In fact, when you pay attention to it, uh, 
kids are some of the most entertaining uh, opportunities you have. So the stuff that kids do and say is far better than most of the junk I see on television these days. Come on. Kids are hilarious. They are inherently funny. I mean, you might prefer YouTube, but I love to just get my grandkids around me and just listen. Uh, my, my granddaughter Evie went to a Bible study and learned about Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came and, and the wind blew and, and, and tongues of fire uh, raged. And, and, and Kim asked her, tell me about what you learned. She said, yeah, the wind started blowing and their heads caught on fire. Our student ministries pastor, James Martin, his kids are like stepping stones. They're little preschool age kids. And, and for, for his oldest one, everything is last year. Dad, remember when we wrestled last year? <laughs> remember when we had pancakes last year? I mean, just the perspective on time is phenomenal. My absolute favorite, favorite is uh, Andrea Tolchard, who's our office manager. She's the lady who did the, uh, the announcements today. She told the story about her three-year-old cousin who loved to sing, and he often loved to sing in the bathroom, and one day they heard him singing from the bathroom, how beautiful heaven must be. Somebody better come and wipe me. But whether your kids are funny or not, you can't forget Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Children are a gift from the Lord. They're reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. And can I just say, having Arctic blonde hair now. How quickly those children that are arrows get shot out into the world and you find yourself saying, man, I hope I did enough. I hope I made our home a shelter so that when storms come, they'll come back. I hope I taught them values that help them to develop wisdom and stature and relationship with God and relationship with people. I hope I made home a fun place that they want to be a part of. The fourth commitment or role, if you prefer, is that the home should be a launching pad for service. So say it with me. I will make my home a launching pad for service. Here we go. I will make my home a launching pad for service. You may or may not have thought of your family in that way, but if I've learned anything over the years, it is that, that, that serving together forms a bond that, frankly, like nothing else does. That's why when Paul wanted to describe for us a role model family, the family that he picked was a serving family. Look what he said uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. You know that the family of Stephanos were the first believers in southern Greece. They have given themselves to the service of God's people. I ask you, brothers, to follow the leading of people like these and anyone else who works and serves with them. What's he saying? He's saying that the family is a launching pad for service, and he wanted to recognize the importance of families like Stephanos' family and to say to people, if you want a role model, then there's a good one right there. 
make your family like that family, and you will honor God. i got to be honest with you. As I thought about this this week, and as I looked at that scripture, and I thought about sharing with you, I, I found myself wishing that I could do that here. But the truth of the matter is, there are so many Stephanos families in this church, we'd spend the rest of the day just reading names. And I thank you for that. The truth of the matter is, uh, we have to recognize the importance of family, not just for learning, not just for fun, not just to shelter from the storms, but in fact, learning and committing to work together, serve together, to get outside of ourselves together, to bless the needs of the people that are around us is a huge part of being a healthy human being and a healthy follower of Jesus Christ. Paul uh, knew that because he learned really, really early on in his ministry. Paul and Silas were out doing missionary journeys early in their ministry, and, and they got in trouble just for preaching and praying, and they cast the demons out of this girl and got in trouble for it, and, uh, and so they were thrown in jail. And what did they do down in the jail, sitting in stocks and bonds? They gave thanks. They just praised God anyway. They just made it an act of praise. And it was in that atmosphere of praise that God sent an earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison, and all the prisoners got free. Well, here's, you know, there's lots to that story, but here's the, here's the detail I want you to get. Once the dust settled on all of that, the jailer offered them a chance to come home with him. And that's where we pick up the story, Acts chapter 16, verse 32 to 34. Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. The jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. They served Paul and Silas, and in turn, the Lord served them eternal life. You see, it's out of serving as a family that quite often the family is served. It is where the blessings come. So make your home a launching pad for service in the midst of all of these things. In fact, let me make a suggestion this Thursday. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Kim has always been better at this one than I am uh, and, and i got to be honest, my family will forever be grateful for her doing that because she trained our boys in it. And it was Andrew who said to a young lieutenant stationed at Norfolk Naval Base many years ago now, I found out she was single and alone and her family was in California. And he said, look, my mom cooks way too much uh, every holiday for just us. Why don't you come home with me today? And, and uh, Emily said, okay, well, I'd rather not eat alone. And then he turned to Kim and he said, uh, would it be all right if I bring my new friend home with us today? And Emily said, she recognized Kim. She said, you didn't tell me you were the pastor's son. <laughs> she called her dad in California and said, you'll never guess what I'm going to do today. I'm going to eat lunch with the pastor's family. And her dad said, don't cuss, don't, don't cuss. <laughs> in time, that friendship became... A romance, and uh, we thank God that Emily is raising our grandchildren now. Can't wait to be home with them this week for Thanksgiving. And I'm excited to say that our military ministry is doing that here this coming Thursday. Dinner for 
our military families, whether you have family here or, or, or you're single, if you're military and you're separated from family that's great distances, we want to we wanna be that family for you. And let me say quickly, you can sign up for that as a military family. You can sign up for that as a non-military family, and guess what we'll do? We'll put you to work. We'll let you serve those military families. What are we doing? Galatians 6.10, when you have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it. But we should give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. All I'm saying, i got to close, this Thanksgiving, show gratitude to God by creating a home like the one he designed. Make sure that your family is, as much as you know how, a shelter from the storms, is a learning center for life, is a place to play, and a place where you launch together to serve. And I pray that our church will ever be that kind of family too. Big family, but family. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for serving us. That your son Jesus Christ took on the form of a servant, the form of a man. He served, served all the way to death, the worst possible kind of death, death on the cross, just to serve. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. God, thank you for serving us first even while we were ignoring you. In the quietness of this moment, Lord, I pray that each one of us would just reflect on your design for family, biological, adoptive, and spiritual and ask ourselves the question, how am I doing? Is my family, biological, adoptive, or spiritual, is my family a shelter from the storm? Or do I add pain when someone in my family fails or is rejected or is dealing with change? Ask myself, is my family a learning center for life? Am I role modeling godly values so that my children and grandchildren, again, biological, adoptive, and spiritual, are seeing Jesus in me. Is my family a place to play? It's really fun to be there. Can't wait to be there. And are we serving you in our communities and through our church to meet the needs that are around us? as an act of gratitude for your service to us. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I want to give you a chance to pray with me. Maybe you've never thought about this before. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before. Maybe if I had asked you if you were a Christian before you got here, you might have said yes, but, or maybe not, but but you've never come to that place where you say, thank you, Jesus, for serving me. Thank you for your service that brings life to me. You took on my sin, not yours, mine. 
because you died in my place and you rose from the grave, that life is now available to me. New life, fresh start. I pray that everyone across this room and those that are watching online right now would just pause and say, thank you, Jesus. You can think of no better way to give thanks this Thanksgiving season than to give our lives to Jesus Christ as an act of gratitude. And then those of you in the room or online who are followers of Jesus Christ and you've been perhaps convicted, spoken to this morning about how God wants you to do family, biological, adoptive, and spiritual. You pray a simple prayer with me. Jesus, haven't always gotten it right. I, I can't honestly say that describes my family, what we've been talking about today, but I want it to from this point forward. So help me, please, to be the kind of leader and influence in my family that helps the generations to come bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, Father, you know who's praying across the room and across the world. We commit ourselves and this Thanksgiving season to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that first prayer with me this morning, would you do me the honor of letting me know? There's a place on your Connect card you can say, I've committed my life to Jesus. Or you can just send me a text message, New Life, to 55498 so we can pray for you this week. We're so glad you came to the house of the Lord this morning. The altars are going to be open after the service. There'll be people here to pray with you. If you'd like to pray with somebody today about anything, especially as it relates to family or Thanksgiving, this can be a tough season. Take advantage of that opportunity before you leave. Would you stand with me? You'll see the ushers at the door on your way out. They're ready to receive your one for change, just a simple dollar bill dropped in that basket. We gave $18,000 to organizations around this community last year simply from one, just because we dropped dollar bills in once a month. God, that's right. Praise God. So if you want to bless one of the organizations that's doing good things in this community, just drop a buck in the plate. If you don't have a dollar, God bless you. Thanks for your heart. And if you got a fiver, you can do that too, okay? <laughs> Father, thank you for the chance to be together today. And we pray blessing over this family and the families that make it up. I pray this would be a wonderful, joyous Thanksgiving, fresh start kind of Thanksgiving for so many of us. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. See you next Sunday.